point. Hey listeners, as many of you know, we endorse a lot of products here at Crack Rackets, and while we believe in all of them, I can personally offer a wholehearted, full-throated endorsement of our newest product, our newest partner and title sponsor here of our Great Shot Podcast, and a product I used all too often growing up as a tennis player. It's our friends over at Turna Tennis, makers of the world-famous Turna Grip. Now, Turna Grip is the only grip that gets tackier when you sweat. It's performance in hot and humid conditions unmatched by any other product in the tennis world. And of course, I'm talking about that trademark, iconic blue colored grip that you can see on the rackets of hundreds of touring pros across the world. Their mega tack grip, the tackiest grip on the market. If you would like to get yourself a pack of Turner Grip, you can find it anywhere you buy your tennis products, or you can email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. That's sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707. Turner Grip, truly the tackiest and truly the best grip in all of tennis. Welcome to the deciding point. Our Cracked Rackets weekly roundup of the biggest storylines going on throughout the professional tennis world was another busy week of action. We had two ATP 500-level events, two WTA-level events, our first American Challenger of the Year. Joining me to break it all down on today's show will be our Crack Rackets do-everything James Foster McDonald. Of course, we've also got Miami on the horizon this week. We talk about that. And then our deciding point is Aslan Karatsev, the greatest of all time. With that in mind, Westoff, let's get to our topic. All right, Jamie, let's talk about this week's WTA Tour results. Two familiar faces emerging as champions. 23-year-old Daria Kasakina winning her second title of the season. She wins the action in St. Petersburg. Of course, young Canadian superstar Layla Fernandez earning her first WTA title of her career as well as she wins the action down in Monterey. Your reaction to this week's WTA results? Well, first of all, I just got to say, I'm sure you're happy to see a Fernandez title in there because you've been singing the praises for a long time. Look, to use a classic line of yours, it was uh, it was a matter of when, not if, right? And so it was uh, it was good to see her grab that first WTA title and, you know, a, a convincing one and four win in the finals. Had some tight matches. I think it was Cerebez Tormo was like five and five, but she just, you know, comprehensively took care of this draw. So a well-deserved first WTA title for Layla Fernandez, for sure. Yeah, and look, she's 16-9 and in her last 52 weeks. With this result, she's up to number 72 in the ranking. The success of people like Naomi Osaka, Iga Swiatek, even the rapid rise of someone like Amanda Nisimova kind of skewed the curve, right, in terms of what the normal development is for a rising superstar in the women's game. But, I mean, you've got Layla Fernandez now in the top 75. Clara Tawson won her first title a few weeks ago in Lyon, and I saw this tweet from David Kane the 2019 Australian Open Junior Final, uh, Jamie. Clara Tawson defeats Layla Fernandez to win her junior major crown. Now, both of them have WTA title victories. It's so difficult because you have Osaka, you have Andrescu, you have Kennan, who have already won Grand Slam titles, but there are so many young rising stars in the women's game. And I think Daria Kasakina has reasserted herself as one of those young rising stars. I mentioned the fact she's 23 years old. 
old. You know, she's already been a top 10 player. She reached the top 10 in 2018 when she was just 21. And of course, that came on the back of so much clay court success. And you see her game, the heaviness of her forehand, the way she moves the ball around the court. It is a clay court game. For her to have this sort of success on hard courts, it shows, A, she's finally healthy again. Her confidence is back. You know, she doesn't have that overwhelming power of a Sabalenka, of an Osaka, but she can do so many things well. Kasakina is really good, Jamie, and I just think this continues to prove the theory. It's pick a name out of the hat, right, on the WTA Tour. Anyone can win on any given week. Oh, it's it's very hard to keep track of this ever-growing list. There's always a new contender. Seems like every week there's a new contender. And so, it look, it keeps the WTA interesting. Know about it. No doubt about it. Yeah, and was this a Dubai or a Doha draw for Kasakina? No, but for her to beat Clara Tossin, for her to beat Kuder Matova, her, you know, I think she beat Kuznetsova as well. It was a fantastic week of tennis for Daria Kasakina. She really does deserve to be back in the top 50 of the rankings. All right, Jamie, let's talk about the two ATP 500s we saw this week in Dubai and Acapulco. Now, it was a very next-gen-centric week up until the finals. There was no Novak Djokovic, no Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer pulling out of the action in Dubai after he played his first tournament in a year in Doha. And, you know, heading into the semifinal round, you had Rublev and Shapovalov playing Karatsev and Harris in those Dubai semifinals. You thought, okay, a a Shapovalov-Rublev final sounds awesome in Acapulco, it did seem like from the start it was a, just a matter of time until Zverev was going to face Tsitsipas in the final. Now that's the matchup we got in Acapulco. In Dubai, things went a little awry, and we'll get to Aslan Karatsev in our deciding point, but Lloyd Harris making a run to his first ATP 500 level final, second ATP final of his career. Now, ultimately, it's Karatsev who wins the title in Dubai. Let's start there. Your reaction to just all of the madness out in the Middle East. Look, uh, that was a really great week for Lloyd Harris. Uh, I'm not sure I could say I saw that coming. Um, you know, throughout the draw, he continued to surprise me. But the, by, by toward the end, look, you, you have to respect his game. He did a ton correct in that draw. And look, on the flip side of it, Shapovalov looked really, really good, was holding serve well. Great to see him performing at that top level on a hard court. Uh, just ultimately not quite good enough to get it done. But I'm really excited for what this means for Denis Shapovalov throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, and I think there was a stat floating around. He's like 1-11 in in ATP semifinals now. What that told me is, oh man, he's made 12 semifinals in his career. That's a good development for him. Now, obviously, we would love to see him win in that semifinal round, get back to a final, win another title. But it's funny how he can be 1-11 in semifinals, but because he has that one title, there's no freak out about Shapovalov. But FAA can make seven different finals, but because he's 0-7 in finals, we all have to collectively panic. It's like... You know FAA has made more finals than Shapovalov. I'm tweeting that out, by the way, as soon as we're done recording this, uh, because that is kind of funny to me, the collective freakout. But just quickly on the Lloyd Harris piece, over his last 52 weeks now, he's 26 and 13. He is up to number 52 in the rankings, and it's on the back of that first serve. He is, in my opinion, the definition of your modern player, Jamie. He's six foot six huge serve, but moves really well around the court. Yes, the forehand is what he does most of his damage with, and he plays attacking tennis, but I just, like, again, 26 and 13, a couple of quarterfinals under his belt over these past 52 weeks. He's been that good. He's not, it's not just a fluke run, right? This has been the buildup, and yeah, things broke his way this week, but it's not a fluke. 
Is he six six? I could have sworn I saw him listed at six four. But uh, it, it, the hair, regardless. the hair gives him two extra Fair. inches. Fair. Uh, look, he's a big dude, and yeah, he, he uses that size on the first serve. You're right. No, 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 exactly. And toward the end of the week, it's like, okay, we're expecting to see Lloyd Harris here. This is great. Uh, it wasn't just a fluke win at the beginning and, and then gets stomped in the next round where he doesn't belong. So, um, no, this is great to see from Lloyd Harris, and I hope he can build on this moving forward. Yeah, and now just to quickly touch on the Acapulco piece, and we want to start by saying this. Alex Vera faces serious allegations of assault off the court, and the fact that there is no ATP policy in place to regulate what happens when this sort of uh, accusation, when this sort of incident happens. We talked about it last week with Basilashvili. You look at it here now with Zverev. It's an absolute blemish, an absolute black mark on the ATP tour. That being said, it would be disingenuous for us to not discuss what we're seeing with our eyes. And what we continue to see is Alex Zverev has all of the pieces to be the best player in men's tennis someday. You look at what he does with this victory here in Acapulco. Six straight season, he has won a title. Just for perspective, the longest active streaks right now uh, in the ATP Tour. Rafa Nadal, 17 straight seasons. Djokovic, 16 straight seasons. Dominic Team's done it six straight. He hasn't won one this year. If he does, it'll be seven. And then Zverev is next on the line. He's won six straight titles, one date, uh, six years straight with at least one title dating back to 2016. Of all of the next-gen guys who are born 1996 or later. He's got 23 finals. The next closest is Medvedev with 17. You look at now for Alexander Zverev with his 14 ATP titles. He has more in his career than Rayonich, Fonini, Lubicic, Rafter, Henman, Nishikori, and Tomas Burdich. It, um, I, Jamie, I, again, Take this in whatever direction you want. How comfortable are you talking about Alex Vera's success is a question on its own, something we've discussed before. But, you know, again, it'd be disingenuous for us not to say he's getting the job done on the court. Yeah, look, he he's looked good. Um, you know, I don't want to spend a ton of time on him, but yeah, he's he's looked really good. Uh, the serve is obviously a massive weapon. Um, you know, I still have my doubts about him in the biggest moments, um, what he can or can't do. But look, he's playing some really really good tennis. He's holding serve. He's putting pressure on when it's his return game, and he's just he's just doing everything right on the court. Um, and so yeah, Sitsipas comes in as the one seed, Zverev the two seed, goes pretty much chalk in terms of the big themes, uh, and we see those two guys duke it out in the final so it is what it is it's two next gen guys we expect a ton of success for both of them throughout their career so again not surprised to see them uh, go head to head in this final and i'm sure there will be many other finals where they do the same Jamie, well, we're going to save the entire ATP Challenger breakdown for a GSP later this week. I do want to talk about this past week's Cleveland Challenger because it was the first Challenger in the States here in 2021. Also, I had the chance to attend the event in person, and anytime we have the opportunity to do that, we want to talk about it a little bit here on the show. You look for the first American Challenger of the year? All Americans pretty much dominating the action. You look in our final, it was Bjorn Fratangelo knocking off young Jensen Brooksby. Now for the 20-year-old Brooksby, it's his second challenger final in the past month. He's into the top 250 now of the rankings. Clearly a step forward for him. For Bjorn Fratangelo, how good do you feel for him given all the injuries he has dealt with? off the court as well. Of course, there were runs from guys like Alex Kovacevic, the current senior at Illinois, former USC standout Emilio Gomez. Really fun week of action. Your takeaways from the event before I dominate this segment for the next 10 minutes. 
Yeah, I feel like I could let you just steamroll through me here. But uh, no, look, this was a really fun event. And like you mentioned, it's so fun to see this clash. First of all, it's on American soil. It's fun to see the American young guys in the same draw as potentially some older guys coming back from injury like Fertangelo, also some current um, you know, college players. It, it's just a really fun mix of competitors that you get to see in a draw like this. And and that final from Brooksby and Fertangelo didn't disappoint. Uh, I really enjoyed that, but it would uh, it would be irresponsible of me to take the lead on that given that you were there. So I'll hand it over. Don't hold back. <laughs> well, I'm fascinated to hear what you think of Jensen Brooksby because I have a lot of Jamie McDonald similar vibes when I watch him play. Just the way he hits the that backhand slice, the two hands, he kind of like drives through it. It's very unconventional. When I think unconventional, for some reason, I think of you, Jamie, or just yeah. like your tennis for, game now. For it's, some reason. No. Yeah, uh, for no, some reason. I mean, reason. look, I, I, love, I love watching him because he'll just grind it out from the back. Exactly. Um, you know, he'll, he'll torture people by the fact that like, oh, look, I'm not going to make the first move. You're going to have to push me. And as soon as you push me to the outer third, you're in trouble. And so I, I look, I love that sort of mind game that he plays. Uh, but look, as he's developed as a player, obviously he's going to have to get more comfortable switching up the rhythm and taking the initiative a bit more. I felt like a lot of times he was just put on his heels and wasn't able to to quite make up the ground, especially this being an indoor tournament. But uh, no, he's a really, really fun player to watch. And so I am really excited to see him develop over the next few years. That was an exceptional breakdown. That's why you got to take the lead. To your point, give him three years to fill out his frame. He's like suddenly 6'2", 6'3", 6'3 and a half, and he's growing into his body still. Yeah, that serve leaves a lot to be desired, but he's 20 years old, and when you're telling a player the thing you need to work on most is your serve, that's a great place to be, and you nailed it. He is as steady as they come, but the moment you get him into the outer thirds, now you're playing his ball game. That's where he wants to be, and unfortunately in the finals for him, he just ran out of legs, and again, that's what happens to a 20-year-old, but... Also, have to give a credit to Bjorn Fertangelo, who, uh, he's just a rock. Like, he just is so freaking good. It's unbelievable to me that he's not a top 100 player, because when I watch him play, I think, like, the backhand's a little flat, fine, but I watch him play, and I think, there's a guy with no weaknesses, and it's just, can he stay healthy for an extended period? Because if he can... He's a top 115 guy, and then, you know, getting from top 115 to the top 100 is almost luck. Yeah, and look, hey, I'm uh, I'm partial to watching him, too, because he's not afraid of hitting that backhand slice. He hit quite a few good ones in the match, uh, so always fun for me to see. But no, as you mentioned at the, at the top of this, great to see an injury-free for Tangelo back on the court, for sure. A hundred percent. I do just want to quickly mention, having had the chance to talk to all of these players, A... There's definitely some growing unrest about all the different hoops you have to jump through, particularly going country from country, place to place, all the various COVID testing procedures you have to hop through to be put in the bubble. Uh, it's, it's not fun for these players, and certainly the challenger lifestyle has never been glamorous. You add this on top of it, you can tell these players are growing particularly weary, and it would just be great. And, you know, like they did in Italy with the Biela 1, 2, 3, 4 challengers, St. Petersburg, they had a couple in a row. Can we just get four in a row in the U.S.? Can we get, I mean, in Florida, it's the wild, wild west, right? You'd think Orlando would be like, yeah, sure, we'll host four in a row. We might as well do it. It just feels like getting the players in one location for an extended period of time is just what it's going to have to be. And the question is, do any of these facilities, any of these interests in the states have the ability to do that? Certainly, that is what these players are looking for. And again, you know, we all understand we're playing in a pandemic. There are going to have to be concessions from everyone. Uh, but there's definitely some growing frustration. That being said, you could see these players, uh, particularly the Americans, were very happy to be competing on home soil once again. 
Okay, Jamie, let's take a look at this week's action now. All eyes turn to Miami for the Miami Masters event. Now, 31 of the top 100 men ended up pulling out of this event. Of course, Serena Williams, unfortunately, not going to be able to play on the women's side. But still, we have our look at both the men's and women's draw. Now, we both have only looked at these draws for about 10 total minutes. So it's complete hot take initial reactions here on this segment. But I'm going to ask you for them anyways. Jamie, your thoughts on how these men's and women's Miami's draws have uh, shaken out? Look, I'll start on the women's side, and and this was sort of going to be the the theme for me, regardless of how the draw actually ended up. This one, to me, is all about Ash Barty. Um, I was really disappointed in in, in what I saw from her earlier in the year, especially with the Aussie Open and the follow-up tournament. So, to me, this is big-time, you know, bounce-back season for Ash Barty. And if it's not, there's some serious questions about her. And look, there, there were already a ton of questions of, like, really, Ash Barty, number one, And those are all just kind of seeming true, all of those questions and those doubts. So now I think it's her time to sort of right the ship um, and remind everybody why she got to number one in the world in the first place. I think you look at the top eight seeds here in Miami for the women. Barty, Osaka, Halep, Kennan, Svitolina, Pliskova, Sabalenka, Andreescu. Of course, you've got Sviantek, dangerous in the draw. Of course, Petra Kvitova, dangerous in the draw. She had so much success during the Middle East swing. Of course, Garbine Muguruza, somehow not a top eight seed, but we all know what she is capable of. Yeah, the fact that Barty's the number one seed and the fact that points are going to start coming off for some of these players, both interesting facts heading into this women's draw and you know again we've got the full field here we've got Simona Halep back competing against these players in uh on the hard courts and it's going to be fascinating to see how her game holds up because certainly she's someone we will all circle heading towards the French Open as one of the favorites but look I mean we talk about it each and every week we talked about it in our WTA segment this week pick a name out of a hat that's how it feels heading into Miami Except for the fact that Osaka's in the draw, right? She enters as the favorite. And what's so interesting is these past three hardcore events, right? The Western Southern Open, the U.S. Open, the Australian Open. She's been dominant. And can that dominance happen again here in Miami? If it does, then the conversations get really fun about Naomi Osaka's future. Now, on the men's side, again, these draws have been out literally for six minutes as we're recording this. But... No Djokovic, no Nadal, no Dominic Team, no Berrettini. You know, 31 of the top 100 men not in action. And the running joke in Cleveland was everyone was trying to lose early so that they could head on over for Miami qualifying because it turns out they all were going to end up getting in. But you look at this Miami men's draw. I'm going to take the alternative route. We continue to wonder which of these next-gen guys is going to step up, be the leader of the pack. That's the storyline heading into the men's event, right? Is it Medvedev? Is it Tsitsipas? Is it Zverev? Which of them can step up and say, you know what? I'm the guy. I'm the next one. Yeah, I think that's fair. Look, Medvedev is going to be expecting to win this tournament. Honestly, I think there's no reason Daniel Medvedev can't win they this tournament. They all thing. are. They'll all yeah. be expecting to win it. I mean, I would hope so. Uh, I think I think it really probably comes down to those three. Maybe you throw Rublev in there, uh, but I'd say it probably comes down to those three, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and Medvedev. Um, I, I would put Rublev and Shapovalov slightly on the outside of that looking in. Uh, but no, look, I mean, there's a ton of different guys who are young, who are going to be willing to make deep runs and going to be able to make deep runs, especially without the presence of the big names in this draw. So that's going to be a ton of fun. But yeah, I think it's I think it's primarily got to be those three. If you're looking elsewhere, I mean, I don't know who else. Uh, I don't know who else in that young crop really stands up to those three. 
All right, Jamie, for our deciding point this week, I wanted to have a little fun. Pose this question to you. Now, you look at one of, if not the biggest storyline on the ATP Tour thus far in 2021. You could make a legitimate case. It's the form and run of Aslan Karatsev. And just quickly for you listeners, to start the 2020 season, Aslan Karatsev was ranked number 292 in the world now. You look at what he has done since then. 51-13 in 13 overall in the matches he has played. Of course, he won two challenger titles in four finals last season. Was the winningest player on the challenger tour. You look at his start here to 2021. He's 15-2. He has an Australian Open semifinal under his belt. And now, his first ATP title of his career as he knocks off Evans, Sinego, Sinner, Rublev, and then Lloyd Harris to win the title in Dubai. His only losses this year, Jamie, to Dominic Team and to Novak Djokovic. I guess I, the only way I can frame this is, is Asan Kartsev the greatest player of all time? Well, saying that his prize money is still at like less than 1% of Djokovic, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I can go that far. But man, has he looked good. And man, has it been a ton of fun to watch. And especially that semifinal win over Rublev, just so impressive. Uh, so I, I'm really, really excited to see what this man can do. Because at this point, sky's the limit, right? I mean, the amount that he's moved up in the rankings is just unheard of. Yeah, I mean, and his game is so smooth as well. It's just his ability to take that ball early on both wings, just how compact his backhand and his ability to change direction off of both sides, the dominance he has displayed on the first serve. You look here this season, he's winning 77% of his first serve points. He's holding 84.9% of the time. Again, for reference, Roger Federer at 85.2 for his career. So yeah, he's serving like prime Roger Federer, and it's just... Again, that confidence he has to know that I'm going to hold serve the majority of the time. It's what allows him to be a little bit more aggressive on his break uh, on in his return of serve games. And, you know, right now he's breaking serve 35% of the time. That's better than prime Djokovic. That's better than prime Nadal. That number is not going to hold up, but it speaks to how well, how confidently he has played. And I think the most impressive thing now, he's up to number 27 in the world. His challenger success last year, Jamie, came on clay as much as it did on hard courts. And like when you watch him play, A, he's on the all-leg team, like the Cavs work for him. But B, is there anything you see from him that makes you think this isn't going to translate to other surfaces as well? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think, look, every single player has a preference of surface and they have to adjust their game accordingly. It, it, that is what it is. But, you know, with him, when he does change directions, take the ball or takes the ball early and really steps into the ball, you know, he can hit big enough to go through any surface. So that's not really the concern. I think this to me is a great sort of segue from challenger into ATP to say, look, look at the confidence you can get from winning these things. Look what it can do for you on the tour. It's just this is a great story for me and I think hopefully this inspires a lot of people who are out there grinding in the challenger tour to be like hey this is what you can do you build up your your game your confidence your momentum here uh, and see how it can translate see what you can do look at these runs that that players like you can make so that's really the the most important part for me and and I think Karatsev has more than shown that he is capable to win um, now it's just doing it consistently uh, week to week to week not just a few runs at the beginning so I I'm super pumped to see this guy play more though and to put a bow on the conversation to the point you were making there Jamie when have we seen someone like this 27 years old outside the top not just 100 but outside the top 200 to make this sort of jump 
I think it's the most impressive jump we've seen since Stan Wawrinka made his breakthrough, since he was a guy who was, you know, till he was 24, 25, 26, floating in that top 20 range. But then for him to make the jump from top 20 to Grand Slam champion, you know, that's the jump every player wants to make. But I, this is probably the most impressive jump I've seen from any player since that. Like, is that fair? Because I'm trying to think of comps and I can't think of any. Yeah, I think that's fair. The only other thing, well, yeah, you don't want to include like coming back from injury in that. So sure, yeah, I, exactly. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know who else you would put in that category. I'm sure there are some, uh, but yeah, at this point, no. I, I think the Vavrinka one's an interesting one that comes to mind. Karatsev, he's got to be a story for the future, and, and like I said, sort of inspiration for players who are who are in that range that they can indeed break through.